The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Okay, friends, welcome into another episode of Story World, episode number 17. Alex, how you doing, man? I am doing great, and I've had some episodes before that I've been really excited for. This one might be the number one so far. Does this one take the cake for you? This one takes the cake. So for all you listeners out there, this one we're actually going to be reviewing a movie, um, a longtime favorite of mine, and then a new favorite of Steve's, um, yes. the, the Prestige. Yes, The Prestige. So... Um, we're going to just dive right into this because who knows how long we could talk about this. So, um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I want Alex to sort of set up the, um, you know, this conversation for you with the exact same quote that opens up the movie to kind of get you in the mood for this and to get you thinking about uh, the content of the movie. So take it away, man. Every great magic trick consists of three parts or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary a deck of cards, a bird, or even a man. He shows you this object. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it to see if it's real, unaltered, and normal. But of course, it probably isn't. The second act is called the turn. The magician takes the ordinary something and makes it do something extraordinary. Now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it because of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to know. You want to be fooled, but you wouldn't clap yet because making something disappear isn't quite enough. You have to bring it back. That's why every magic trick has a third act. The hardest part, the part we call the prestige. Yes. Beautiful. And you, I, I, I love how just profound and deep that quote is. It's it like really, almost if there was no more movie behind it. Uh, just that know. quote enough. I, as someone who's not a magician, I like to just kind of see how they like that definition of it. I mean, from my perspective, it's pretty solid. Um, yeah. But the quote um, in its exactness and its introduction to the movie sets the stage for how refined and exact the movie actually is. Um, it is a perfect opener. Yeah. I agree. Now, I something I don't know because I don't know I don't know magic other than you know growing up watching Penn and Teller and David Blaine and all of that, uh, which I always found really fascinating. Yeah. Um, what a cool theme that you sort of see in this movie all throughout seems to be a a line, you know, between what's real and what isn't, mm. and um, yeah. And so I was actually wondering how far that goes. I mean. Is it true that, I mean, is this something that they talk about in magic, the pledge, the turn and the prestige, or was it made up for the purposes of, of this movie? Do you know that? I, I actually haven't that. looked at it. I probably have a long time ago. I honestly think that that probably is true. Now, I don't know how 
I don't know if a magician creates a trick and every single time he says, all right, what's the pledge? What's the turn and what's the prestige? Who knows exactly right. how that is? But I think it's yeah. more of a general thing, kind of like a movie has is a um, generally speaking has a three part act or right. um, books even. But like when I'm outlining my book, I don't necessarily think about it in three parts, even though that's definitely there. You have the introduction and this is different. The thing that makes this, I guess, first of all, before we keep going, um, spoilers all around for this movie. We are talking about the movie, what happens. So if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Go watch it. It is a fantastic movie. But if you have seen it, great. Um, but the great thing that um, this movie has, I guess you can just simplify it to a three-act scenario, but the movie acts itself as the first part is the pledge. The second part is the turn. And the third part is the prestige. And I imagine we'll probably jump around a lot, but I figured we could kind of take each of those steps in turn and just kind of walk through it, if that sounds good to you. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fantastic. I'm definitely going to let you sort of lead the discussion because you. I think you told me you've seen this movie like literally over 100 times. Um, I have <laughs> seen it once, so. I, um, I have watched it. I have watched it a lot. I don't know how many times, but yes, I should have kept count because it has been a lot. So just a real quick um, tidbit. The first time I watched it was I had to have been 13 or 14, I guess, when it came out. I watched it right when it came out. I must have been that old, 14. And I was on a flight back from a uh, from vacationing and they played the movie on the plane. And I think it, it was a loud environment. It wasn't very clear. So I kind of followed along. And this is not a movie where you want to kind of follow along. So I just didn't care sure. for it. And then a year or two later, I started to really get into movies again and watch a couple more Nolan, Christopher Nolan movies. And I was like, oh, the prestige. I remember kind of watching that and I watched it and then watching it fully and sitting down blew my mind. Um, so anyway, that's kind of how mm -hmm. I started liking it. And my dad loves it as well. We probably watched it together a dozen different times. But um, so I'll start with the actual um, kind of plot and setting of the uh, of the movie. So. Yeah. Prestige is a 2006 mystery thriller film directed by Christopher Nolan, uh, written by Nolan and his brother, Jonathan, based on the 1995 novel of the same name. So it is based on a novel from the mid 90s. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, that's I, a new fact right there I didn't, for me. I knew that um, he and his brother, Jonathan Nolan, like wrote it, but like for the movie, but I didn't realize it was actually a book. And there were some changes that they made from the book that I think worked and we can cover them too when we get to them. But anyway... The the movie in the book, but the movie follows Robert Angier and Alfred Borden, rival stage magicians in London at the end of the 19th century. Obsessed with creating the best stage illusion, the engaging competitive one-upmanship with fatal results. Uh, literally. <laughs> so oh, I think that kind of sets the stage for it. Um, but anyway, so I'm, and again, I, uh, I've watched it quite a few times. Doesn't mean I can recall scene for scene and replay the whole movie in my head, but essentially the beginning of the movie um, kind of has a few different timelines. Um, and I think uh, one of your notes too, you kind of um, mentioned the um, the flashbacks. How did you kind of, so in the beginning, it kind of sets the scenes for three different timelines. The one you see Alfred Borden in prison um, for the murder of um, Angier. And then um, I guess the middle timeline, if you will, is Angier traveling to Colorado to see Tesla. And then the first yeah. timeline the i guess the oldest timeline is when alfred it shows the actual story in chronological order with alfred i mean with angier and borden so how did you kind of like that set up throughout the movie 
Yeah, I thought it was really fascinating. And we've talked about this before, um, the use of flashbacks in in movies and books. And I I love uh it's it's I love just how masterful again, spoilers are gonna be all around here. Yes. I should caveat it again. Every time. Um, yes, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. But I love how which I mean, anyway, if you're a story nerd, like you, you just kind of have to see this movie anyway. So like, just yeah. just, just watch it. Just watch it. You probably already have. Uh, so, um, but I, I've, I've mentioned before that I love when I can really be surprised by the mm. flashbacks. Yeah, I really, absolutely. I really love when it can be so seamless, and I'm just like, ah, oh, like what even happened there? And like mm-hmm. for me, uh, thinking back to the movie, which I actually kind of wished that I had watched it. I think a second time even before we had this conversation. But if I had waited until then, who knows when I got around to it. Right. Um, to actually find two hours, that would be amazing. Um, but um, for, for me, like the, the, the best memory I have of, of being surprised by the flashbacks is, is there, were, there were sort of two, two parts in the movie where um, the, the, so of course you, you already mentioned how they were reading each other's journals yeah. because through different circumstances, <laughs> yeah. the the journals had been acquired, and at two different parts in 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 the movie, you have each one sort of coming to the end of reading the other's journal, and in both cases, the the person knew like it was intentional that they yeah, ended yeah, up yeah. with the journal, and so like just when it was about to get to the good part, it says and and it calls the other guy's name, and it's like basically gotcha. Um, it, it, and it's interesting yeah. and each of those, cause I kind of have a point too, of touching on, there were multiple climaxes in this book and not just mini ones, but big ones. And the big ones were that, I remember I had a friend that I watched it with in college who had never, uh, I shouldn't say that it was at Pensacola Christian college. We weren't allowed to watch movies, but uh, uh, no. Uh, so anyway, we, uh, we watched, uh, <laughs> we watched the, the perceived, he had never seen it before. And I remember when the first um reveal happened when Angier was reading the journal in Colorado that he dedicated I don't know if it was a year or two years or three years but I think it was a year of his life going over to see Tesla because that's what Borden's journal led him to and at the end he gets it and he's reading it but in Borden's voice and saying um you all you Angier reading you know my journal I hope that um and you as he's reading it you can see Angier just gets torn up and angry and I remember my friend, of course, we both paused too to talk about it. You kind of freaked out as well. I remember my friend, Yeah, he was just freaked out. But then when it happened the second time, when Borden was reading Angier's journal in prison, he paused the movie and stood up and just like was, just didn't know what to say. His he literally was just, gassed. Yeah. Oh, his flabber was gassed. But that's what makes this movie so weird. Like typically that yeah. would be in a, in a normal movie that that would be the climax. That would be the ending. And you're like, right. the whole time he knew he was going to set it up. But like this had, that's not even like the big ending. I know. You know? Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, fla- the flashbacks and, and Nolan's known for kind of distorting time in his movies and telling it in very unique ways. We'll have to watch Memento sometime for you to see that. Yeah, but, I would love to. Um, but I think it, um, there's just so many ways that they could have messed it up and have it feel awkward or clunky or not hit home, but everything was just set up perfectly in that way. 
Yeah, I was I was looking for plot holes. I mean, after it went along, I was really I I was start, I started thinking back, and I was looking for plot <laughs> holes, and and all the ones that I could think of, um, I came up with pretty reasonable answers to right away. So I don't think they're actually yeah. plot holes, but um, but just to kind of put a, a nail in the coffin there on the on, on the flashbacks, at least for now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think I had. Uh, maybe I didn't. I didn't pause the movie because it didn't have the controls, but I probably could have. I mean, I had a pretty similar reaction whenever because I honestly didn't expect it. Now, I, I didn't expect it either time, but I gotta say, I really didn't expect it. Um, more towards mm. the end, when Borden yeah. was reading Angier's journal, and it's probably because it already happened once, and you're getting close to the ending, and you, you're just not expecting. Yeah. You're not all. thinking, you're not thinking, uh, like, it's just certainly it's the furthest thing from your mind that the same mm-hmm. thing is going to happen but it in hits, reverse. But it hits even harder. It's not like a repetitive thing, like, oh, they did it right. again. It hits harder. Yes, it hits harder. And, oh, and because the circumstances, like, the the first time around, the circumstances were kind of like, okay, like, I could see, I could see how that happened or whatever. But the second time yeah. around, for me, like, the circumstances of him actually acquiring the journal and everything are just, it just makes it that much more uh, unbelievable. And, and again, we're really kind of fantastic. we're kind of fast forwarding, which is fine. But this is just kind of a, a free through thing. But um, what makes the second one hit hard too is because you don't again spoilers. You don't know at that point that he has been that Ajir has essentially been cloning himself and killing himself. You think that he is dead, exactly. And so then when it says that yes, you Borden in, in the in the prison cell um for my murder, and I don't know if you remember about that part. When he's reading it, um, Angier, you know, speaking as he's reading it, he kind of whispers it out at the end. It's kind of like a really yeah. like, and uh, already, you know, for my yeah. murder. And so Borden's like, "How did he know that I was gonna murder him?" Um, just so yeah. good. But anyway, so well, going so going back yeah. to the movie where, um, obviously they're you know they kind of work together, and it, again we don't have detail to go through every single scene, but you can tell at the beginning they obviously want to be amazing um, magicians. And Borden's always hitting on. Remember, they go to watch that old Asian guy with the fishbowl, and they're yeah. both amazed by it. But Borden's like, the real trick is this: when he's outside acting like the crippled. Yeah, and you can just see early on hints of him, like even though Angier in the end goes the, in my opinion, the more kind of insane route with, um, yeah, just got everything he does. Borden though, um, right from the get go, was like, no, like this is life. Like this is this is how it has to be. Like, um. This is my yep. life with secrets. And he was just really serious about it. Um, kind of like a um like an idealism, you know. But anyway, so at the beginning, um, so the rope scenario where um there's the tank, and then um Injir's wife, you know, is obviously up there on stage and Borden. I I mean, we're led to believe and most likely he, you know, tied the rope where she wasn't able to get out. And um she ends up dying from the tank and it's uh, it kind it's been kind of a light movie up to that point. You're just kind of interested to see what's gonna happen when the magic yeah. tree can get it started, and then that series happens. And Boy, it gets intense. Oh, I just so quick. I just remember when it gets um, I think I actually paused the movie or said something to you like it begins, and that was at the part where they're in the morgue, saying the farewell, and Borden shows up, and Injir says, "Which knot did you tie?" And he says, "I I just I don't know." Now right. a couple things in um. I just started thinking about this because obviously one of the twin brothers was on stage tying the knot. The other one wasn't. So I wonder if at that morgue scene, if it was the one that did not tie, it really didn't know. 
Yeah, if you really the, didn't, I, part, I didn't make that connection. The one part that got cut into the movies that's kind of noticeable afterwards is when um, his um, Borden's wife would, uh, Sarah, I think, would keep telling him, um, yeah. like, you know, you just don't love me today. Or, you know, you do love me this time. You mean it this time. But that one, I think it's just, if you rewatch yeah. it and ask yourself, like, okay, which one is in this scene? Because there's some important scenes where it could really make the difference. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm thinking at the meta level here as well. As yeah. we're talking about this. And I'm trying to decide how, like, I mean, we're obviously there, there's going to be spoilers here. But, like, I, if since there are going to be spoilers, I'm wondering if we should just be really clear. I feel like we're being really vague about the plot to this point. Okay, no, go for it. Yes. No, say whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I don't know if we're frustrating uh, people. I mean, hey, you listening out there, like, I don't know if we're frustrating you by, like, talking around things and you don't know. And you're just, oh, now i got to go see the movie. Um, or if you'd rather be like, hey, speak clearly. I feel like I should- That's true. Speak as clearly as possible. Yeah, I'm with that. Maybe I haven't been trying to avoid it. I guess maybe I should just be more purposeful as I- Yeah, yeah. Well, so so I think maybe this. I think maybe, I mean, again, like I said, don't listen to this if you don't want spoilers. If you've already seen this and you know kind of whatever, then fine. But like, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it and you do want spoilers, like, I think we just kind of need to be clear about how the end game goes. Um, Yeah, You know, the, the reality of the situation is that, Okay, these two magicians are competing with each other, trying to outdo um, each other. And and basically what happens is when the guy's wife dies, which is mm-hmm. the scene we were just talking through, they were doing an, an you know, a water escape trick. Um, and you know, you know, I mean where the where the assistant is basically in the water and she is trying to get out, and the guy's standing off to the side, uh, the one guy's assistant basically is standing off to the side, um, or his magic engineer, not technically mm-hmm. his assistant with a stopwatch counting to 60 seconds because that's kind of the no, you know, after that, um, there's no hope of rescuing the person because they're going to drown. And so he watches that, that time click out. And before then they had been going through these different scenarios where you've got different kinds of knots that you were going to tie. They had been tying a basic slip knot, but they were going to try a more complicated knot because it would, I guess, be a better trick, right? It would be a better escape if the knot was more complicated. And And also that she wouldn't slip. From it, so that she wouldn't and break her leg ex- or something. Yeah. Exactly right. So, um, basically, they said they were going to practice that and whatever. Whether or not they did, um, uh, apparently they didn't have it all sorted out. And the guy, pretty much, I guess it's pretty clear that he did tie the wrong knot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she ended up dying. And then so that's what really sets off this competition between the two. Is the one guy gets really upset because in his mind the other guy killed his, his wife. All right, so. That's, That's important for you to understand. Right. Um, and then the, the other thing on, on the really, like at the end of the deal, at the end of the game, um, the important thing for you to understand is is the guy who, um, so there's two guys, uh, Borden, right, and um, Angier. And at the, end of the, at the end of the day, Angier ends up basically cloning himself yeah. in order to accomplish his transporting man trick, which will probably come up as while we're talking through this but just keep that in your mind the one guy ends up cloning himself that's the secret to his magic trick and then the secret to borden's magic trick the guy who accidentally killed the guy's wife is that he and his magic engineer they call it an engineer or whatever the french word but it's basically his magic engineer the magic engineer is wearing a disguise but basically they're a twin they're absolute twins and nobody knows it obviously throughout the movie and so he ends up um, his big trick ends up being the transporting man, and he accomplishes it through having this body double that nobody knows uh, exists. exists. So there's yep. there's two of the one guy, 
And then at the end of the day, the other guy ends up cloning himself to accomplish his trick. And so that's sort of like the context that I think you need in order for much of our vagueness to make sense all throughout. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that sets up what happens in the story. Absolutely. And so that kind of wraps up the the first act or the pledge, if you will. The, the pledge. You know, yeah. You're saying, hey, here's these two magicians. Um, Borden, I wouldn't say killed his wife, but, you know, set up a scenario where unfortunately she passed away. And then... Yes. That's the pledge. These two magicians now are going to be going at it through the movie. Um, yeah, and so to clarify that one scene you were just talking yep. about, right? The guy gets really mad because yep. at the at, again at sort of the morgue, whenever they're burying this guy's wife, he he asks the guy, "Which knot did you tie?" And the guy's like, "I I don't I don't, don't remember." Or I and don't then yep. I don't remember. Oh, I don't know. He says, "I." He said something along the lines of two. It was so good. He said something along the lines of, um, "I ask myself that question every day." And then Andrew says, and, and he says, I, I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's just so good. Right. And, and, and of course you don't have the context that it very well could have been the one who does you know, right. two of them. There's yep. two guys that you find out, you know, at, at the end. And so it very well could have been the one who just didn't know. So yeah, yep. absolutely. And so moving from there and of course the middle, there's a lot of flashbacks and scenes going back and forth. Um, a couple a couple scenes that I really want to hit hard on. And I guess kind of the very next one is so I think the next big thing that happens is uh, Borden gets married and they have a kid and it's kind of it's kind of rough, you know, money's tight and everything. And he's telling his wife, Sarah, that, you know, he's working on this big magic trick, which ends up being the transported man. But he's doing these smaller shows leading up to it. And at this time, Fallon gets introduced, which, of course, the season that we're talking open now is his twin brother that you don't realize until the end. But Fallon, known as... Steve and I were trying to look up the French word engineer or whatever, but yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. it's just French for engineer. So basically right. found is set up to be the guy that helps him set up his tricks and everything. Um, yes. But so, um, Borden and, um, his, his twin brother dressed as Fallon go to this kind of underground magic place, you know, to show off their show and the crowd's booing him and he ends up, um, whipping out a gun to do the bullet catch trick. And, uh, if you're familiar with it and you, you know, you, uh, stick a bull in a gun and while you're loading it in, this is in the 19th century, mind you. So while you're loading it in and you take out, um, I don't know what the name of the tool is that goes down the gun barrel. I don't know what it is, but oh, it's like, they, um, I know what it is, but I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, the bullet catches it into it. So there's not even a bullet in there. However, Ian Gier dressed up in some kind of, uh, you know, facial hair kind of dresses up to see what the show's about. He ends up being the chosen volunteer to fire the gun. And when he's handed the gun, he ends up putting a bullet inside. And um, so Borden turns around, expecting his magic trip, and he comes face to face and he sees Angier. And that scene is so tense because you see it zooms up and you see Angier's face and you see him just looking so intensely at Borden. Yeah. I wouldn't even say it was like hate. It was like a um, man, I don't know how to describe it, just like a determination, like he's going to get this guy to confess yeah. to tying that knot. And so he says, which not did you tie board? And board says, I don't know. So anyway, Fallon, the twin brother, sees what's happening, kind of steps in as he fires the bullet. And as he shoots it, it does hit board and it takes off. I forget which two fingers. If it was his pinky and ring finger, I think that's the. Well, that's what I think. I think was. that's what I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And so that's kind of the next big scene that happens in act two and really creates a, um, a scenario for the twins on how they're going to do their special act. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and 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 again, kind of to fast forward there, you 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 end up seeing 
like what all it takes to actually maintain mm. the persona throughout, right? So obviously, um, Fallon, which is of course the the twin and body double of Borden, um, all his fingers are intact. So uh, what do you do, Steve? You can't grow new and, fingers, can you? <laughs> no, you cannot. You cannot grow um, new fingers. And so to to maintain the persona, um, they had to literally chop off uh, in a very crude-looking way, mind you, in the flashback. Yes, you saw them absolutely. do this because you don't know this until the very end. Until the very end, um, yeah. You know, but, but yeah, they had to actually chop off the guy's fingers. And then maybe that's a little something, too. Like, the guy ended up wearing a glove afterward to conceal that. Um, but... No, it's not a plot hole because because when he was showing up, because they switched out. That's the thing. It wasn't just like one guy was always Fallon and one guy was always yep. the real Borden. You know, they actually switched out. And so they both had to appear to be exactly the same um, throughout the, you know, no matter what circumstances mm -hmm. happened. So if one of them had lost a leg throughout, guess what? The other one was yep. losing a leg. Like, yep. they just had to do it uh, to it maintain this persona. And that's why it's so, like, they really mean it when they say that, like the magic is like they live it. Like it becomes mm -hmm. a part of them. It becomes their life. They're so committed to it because that's the, the the nature of the trick. Nothing matters more to them. So one of my um kind of kind of moving on, but one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I have so many favorite scenes in the movie. I'm gonna say that probably several times. One of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Olivia, the new assistant, comes on and starts assisting Angier. And he ends up going to see Borden's show. Uh, the transported man, his big gun. And I love this part because after he goes to the show, it kind of skips the show and it, it shows Angier sitting at the, um, in his studio or whatever. And Olivia's there talking to him and she says, well, what did you think? And he's like taking off his disguise because he didn't want to be seen there. And the music kind of builds up and he says like something along those, it's the best magic trick I've, I've ever seen. Yeah. And essentially, of course, if you see the movie, what essentially what it is is uh, Borden has a rubber ball, and there's two doors up on stage, quite separated. I don't know if it's thirty feet or something like that. Yeah, he bounces the ball to the other door, steps into the one that's that he's in front of, closes it, and then he pops out of the other one. In of, but two things here, of course, you know, at the end, you know, it's it's his twin coming out, his double. But in the movie, I like this part because I don't know if you remember, Steve. They don't show you the trick right away. Do you remember that? instead so Andrew's yeah. the best trick I've ever seen and all you hear all you kind of see um what's a uh, cutter's face so cutter is Angier's um engineer you see cutter's yeah. face just kind of watch and you hear the ball um hit the stage and then like a couple people clap and then it kind of goes on discussing how like he doesn't dress it up enough and he delivers it poorly and that's when the arguments ensue about Angier and cutter arguing about Angier thinks there's something more than it being a double. Obviously, there's something more about it than just being bored and coming out with his twin, but he is he is obsessed with figuring out why the trick works because he is he is um mm -hmm. convinced that it is not a double. Whereas Cutter is, is keeps telling him, like, it's a double. He said the only way yeah. he knows how to do it is words word for was up using a bloody double. And yeah. um, so anyway, I, I yeah. kind of want to get your thoughts on that part because this is kind of where it gets interesting. Yeah. Where as the you're kind of doing two things when you're watching it for the first time. You're trying to just kind of keep up with things and maintain what's happening. But then at the same time, I would assume at that point, you're also trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? So do you kind of remember where you were at at that part in the movie and kind of what you were thinking about? Oh, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Yes. So 
what I I was sort of um I don't I don't know that it's right to say well I'll say it this way I agreed with Angier. In other words, I I thought in fact I think I remember even saying out loud um I don't know that I was necessarily saying it to you. I was just I think I said it out loud though. No, that's too simple. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I agreed with Angier. I thought no, that's like using a double like that's not magic enough. That <laughs> that was my thought. Yeah. Like my yep. my thought was like because I mean anybody could I mean, again, it was the 1800s. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of what we call science today, those people would have seen as magic. So maybe there's a little bit of, of, um, of, of temporal bias in my looking at the situation. But as I look at the situation, I definitely saw the same thing that Angier did. I saw that and said, no, it's got to be more complicated than just a, a double. And so what my thoughts about that particular scene are that they're both right. Um, now, Cutter, of course, was like, no, it has to be a double. Like you said, a bloody double. Yeah, it's got, it's yeah got it to, has to be. It, it's, it, it's got to be a double. And, and I don't remember the exact circumstances you probably do that ensued, but, but they ended up for, for, um, for Angier to go ahead and copy that trick to start with, they ended up going ahead and actually getting a double. Uh, yeah. So they, they, they did finally go ahead and decide to, to, to do that. But, um, I, again, like I say, I think there was some truth to it for both of them because in the in 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 the one sense with Angier, um, it's like yeah, there has to be more to it than this. It turns out there was more to it. It wasn't just a double; it was his twin. And I think, to me, I think that sort of justifies Angier's supposition. Like, okay, it was a double, sure, but like, it's not. It's not mm -hmm. boring. It's not. Oh, we went out and found somebody who looks a lot like me and dressed mm -hmm. and dressed them up and whatever. Now, ironically, because Cutter was so convinced it was a double, that's what they went out and did. And um, I just thought it was so. I almost saw it as Cutter. I'm gonna say giving up in this case, but like just again, just sort of bending to what to me would have been boring magic just oh mm -hmm. we'll go find a yeah. guy that looks kind of like this other guy that's a dress great him up, point. dress him up a yep. lot more and, and and whatever and so while it was a double it was just it was just boring you right. and um cutter was not impressed with the trick he's like we can do that better i forget exactly yeah right like, right yeah. exactly because the yep. point because the point was that borden had very little showmanship whereas angier had a ton of showmanship yep. so basically the point was the greatest oh, showman all we need is a double the greatest showman nice <laughs> one nice <laughs> one nice one we will make that connection for uh for anyway so hey. um but 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 so so what cutter was seeing was this opportunity to basically take the the delivery the presentation that angier could bring to the table and using the same sort of trickery as Borden, uh, but just presenting it better and therefore having the better show, drawing the bigger crowds, making more money, et cetera. So Cutter was looking at this very practically, which I, I think is funny because he's the magic engineer, whereas Angier was obsessed with, no, like, that's not it. There's something else going on here. And he really was obsessed with the magic of it all. In a sense, he was buying into the magic. He, he was uh, obsessed. Like he expects his audience to. So. He was obsessed with the magic, but then also, and remember, kind of at the beginning, Borden was kind of, I guess you could say, kind of the crazy one or intense one about the magic. Ingear wanted to be great, but Borden was like, you know, he made it his Yeah. Life, and he did. But this is kind of, it transitions to Ingear being obsessed with being better than him. And yeah, it really right. starts, yeah, and I think it's a really good transition. The one thing, too, about how 
Um, Ajir thinks that there's more to it, which there was, just not to the extreme that he thought, although it was pretty extreme. But um, and then Cutter was like, it's a double. So he was right, technically. But the thing that, again, what makes the movie just so great is that it would be one well, thing. Scarlett Johansson and Piper Parabo in the same movie. In my opinion, that's what makes it great. But um, whatever you you're going to say, I'm sure is important, too. It will let the audience decide. <laughs> so um, what um, what makes it uh, one thing that makes it great is that you don't just have Borden up there. And then he has a double come out that looks just like him. But the double comes out missing those two fingers. And so when they're arguing right. about this, um, Olivia says it's this like she agrees with Angier. She says it's the same man because he's yeah. And that, at that because right. at that part, you're hearing them argue, try to figure out. And then when she says that, you're like, oh, my gosh, like that for me, I remember going back in. Yeah. Kind of one of the first like times I watched it, because I think there was a time between the first and second one I watched it that I kind of forgot some stuff. And I was like, man, like mm. like cutters make sense that it's a double. And then I got to thinking, but if it really is where can you find a double that's missing those two fingers? And for me, that part was like there at that part, I kind of knew as long as it was delivered. Well, I yeah. knew that I was something big was going to happen. And yeah. I couldn't that's, figure that's it out, but point. you know, like I just, you knew something big was going to happen. And that's yeah. when you start to wonder like, okay, is it real magic? Is this movie going to show something about real magic happening or like something has to be. Yeah, you're right. Oh, well, okay. Let's let's go ahead and uh, we'll, we'll do the story world thing and tie this into my realm for just a minute. Yes. Um, so really what was happening, that was a very strategically planned, um, you know, piece that was written into the script in order to um, to to make the, the reader or the watcher um, side with Angier. I mean, that was the point. The point was to to remove it, remove that obstacle, right? Cutter introduced this obstacle of, oh, duh, it's a double. But she comes back in and says, no, like they were missing the fingers. Um, yeah. And so that's going to make you just not even think anymore down Cutter's path, right? Yeah. Immediately when Cutter, um, when they start to go down the road of, of getting the double um, for Angier's show, you immediately start to think that they're giving in, that, that they're actually just not, going as far as Borden because whatever Borden's doing is the real thing. Like, so just that one little misdirect, yeah, just that happens. one little thing. It, and it, in my, and in my world, yeah. I don't want to say we call it a, a misdirect, but we do the same sort of thing. So, so the standard like copywriting formula, like that probably more than 50% of sales messages end up being is called pass problem, agitate, solve. And in the agitate phase, what you do is, or at least one of the things that you want to do is eliminate alternatives. So again, this is something that that applies across the board. But as soon as you come in with what what you are saying is, okay, you have this. You're identifying a problem for a for your potential customer or client or or whatever, and you're agitating that problem. You're making it worse. Now they know that you're getting ready to say something. You're going to get ready to offer them something, right? You're, you're getting ready to say, hey, yeah, now buy my thing. I have the solution to your problem. Like they know this is coming. And so what they're immediately trying to do before they before you're allowed to get to that is they're already questioning in their minds of, of how other than your solution they can go ahead and do it. And so how, how, how can they solve their problem on their own without even needing your solution? That is always, mm -hmm. I don't. Like if you think about this at the like actual meta level, next gotcha. time you're considering a product or a service and you're being marketed to, think about this because I almost mm. guarantee it's happening. I've, I've noticed so, that before. Just, yeah, that's a big yeah. thing. 
It is. It is. And so what the marketer wants to try to do during that agitate phase is eliminate alternatives. And so like for the vast majority of products and services, there's three big things. Like it's basically um, do nothing at all. Like, well, what if I just don't do anything? And what happens if I do nothing? Hmm. Um, what happens if I what? What happens if I find a cheaper option? Like whatever he says, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to go the cheap route. And then the other one is do it myself. What if I just do it myself? Yeah. So so immediately in your sales copy, you're saying, well, one of the worst things you could possibly do is to do nothing at all. Because if you don't do anything, you know, then you're gonna change, or, or you're not gonna change anything about your current situation. And this is why you're in the problem that you're in. And then you just move to the next one and systematically eliminate all the objections that you possibly can to make room for them being accepting of the offer that you're going to make them mm -hmm. and so i think something very similar is happening here where basically you are being offered and a, a way to overcome the objection in your mind of oh yeah cutter's right this is just a clone you, you know you're being misdirected so that you don't you don't take that bait and you don't believe that and that you immediately think whatever cutter and angie are doing is ultimately subpar to whatever borden's doing yep. and then the story moves on from there so i just thought that would be a neat little excursus no, no, that was good. I appreciate it, Steve. I like your, uh, I say rabbit trails, but it's more like a, like a moose path because it's big and it, and it, and it go continues going and going and going. Wait, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure how to take this. That's <laughs> okay. I don't right, even good. know how to take it. That just came to mind. So, um, there's a lot of stuff that kind of happens still during like, the turn of the movie act two. And so just kind of hitting some points here. This is the point where Injir just, even though his magic show it is better, he throws the hat on stage and his double comes up through the stage. But remember, Injir underneath the stage is taking a bow to the audience clapping, but they're not seeing him. They're seeing his double. Exactly. And yeah. I forget the exact scene or what. Oh, it was when. So he ends up sending Olivia to work for um, for Borden so that um, he can get his secrets. But um, and you don't find this out till later in the movie as a flashback. But while she's there, she says um, basically like he sent me here to work for you. But like I, but I don't care about that. Like I, he's become obsessed with you. He hates that he has to bow. No, yeah. Gordon knows. He says, well, "How does he feel about taking bows under the stage every night?" He yeah, obviously knows it's a double because his act is a double too. <laughs> but exactly. the the, wa the watcher of the movie is still trying to figure out what's going on there. But so essentially. Um, and if I missed some stuff there, because some stuff does happen through there, like um, Borden ends up getting a hold of um, Angier's double. And um, at one point, too, he removes um, Borden removes the sack that um, the sacks that Angier falls onto and he breaks his leg. So a couple of things happen there. Oh, you yeah. can touch on it if you want. But essentially, it's kind of a uh, um, Borden really kind of gets the better of Angier during this time. But the big thing and again, it kind of tells it in the flashback. But during this timeline, um, Olivia basically sets up Angier, gives Angier his diary. And um yeah. And in that diary, um, it basically says um at the end of it, oh uh, no, basically tells him to go to Colorado to um and the key word that was given to Angier was Tesla. So he says he's going to Colorado. Um, right. I guess an uh, important thing to note too is um so she gives him the diary. What another great scene is when um she says something like getting the better of him or one upping him. So like that won't bring your wife back. And he says, I don't care about my wife. I care about, I think his magic trick or something like that. And that yeah. was another one that was just hit hard. Just hit hard. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, 
I guess kind of the, uh, the turning point there is, um, and again, I forget specifically when this happens, but, um, basically they end up, uh, I say they, Angier and Cutter end up, uh, capturing, um, Fallon, one of the twins and bury him alive. And that's how he gets, um, Borden to give him the key word to the diary so that he can figure it out. Um, and so anyway, and that's what gives the keyword is Tesla and that's what brings him to Colorado. And so that kind of where the two timelines kind of merge at that point. Um, I know that we kind of have a, a couple topics to talk about when it comes to Tesla in this. So maybe this is a good time to dig down into that. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that, that, that's a good transition. Um, so, uh, it's just interesting. Uh, it was good timing to watch this movie, especially with all the, the, the fun Elon Musk stuff oh, happening in, in the news these days. Yeah. But, um. You know, I've always been interested in Tesla, even before um, anything to do with, with the cars or Elon Musk or whatever. I've always thought that the character of Tesla was interesting and a little mysterious because, um, you know, you see him every now and then pop up in, in pop culture references or, or things like that. Like, I think I remember uh, growing up, one of, the, one of the, the games on iOS that I used to play a lot was called Field Runners. Okay. And it was one of those tower defense games. Um, uh, if you're a you know if you're a gamer, you probably know what a tower defense game is. Oh, the the uh, flash arcade games from the mid thousands. Um, I, did you ever I, play those? That's no, where I played a uh, lot of tower defense games. You just go on like cool. I think it was like www.playgames.com, and there were hundreds of thousands of games. Yep, absolutely interesting. Okay, well, no, I I don't think I ever did that. Um, or maybe I did, but anyway, uh, so, um, yeah, so this is a tower defense game called field runners. And I think one of the towers in there is called the Tesla something. And, okay, and, yeah. um, and it just always fast. Yeah, that's right. Yep. I remember. Um, like and, uh, yeah. And, and so uh, again, I think, I think Tesla being brought into this is a really fascinating thing when we say tesla of course we mean um nikola tesla like the he was an inventor he holds many patents it turns out that he he invented ac um uh, not the air conditioning unit not the air conditioning (laughs) no um it's what what is it called um alternating current alternating current it's alternating current so there's alternating current uh and then direct current um ACDC. Uh, and so he invented alternating current, which is most of what we use today. I mean, when you plug something into the wall, you're using alternating current. Um, and so pretty, uh, but what's interesting is there's a whole like tangent that you can go down. I know because I just went down it, you know, a few days ago. Uh, there's a whole tangent you can go down of basically Einstein versus, versus Tesla. So the very, like the, the, you mean, uh, the Franklin. Oh, huh? Franklin no. versus Tesla, right? Frank, no. You no. said Einstein. I don't. I, Are you I correct? Is it Einstein? Oh, okay. Yeah, not not for, not not. Okay, Benjamin, right? Okay, no. sorry. Keep going. Keep no, going. Yeah, Albert Einstein. Yeah. So <laughs> there is, and, and it actually hints at this in the movie, which, which is cool. But but there's this whole, and to give you like the ten to fifteen second version of it, basically, Tesla was an, a, a very smart dude. He became an employee of Einstein's. Einstein hired him to improve upon the direct current. Um, and instead he wanted to, he, he tried to prove that the alternating current was the better way to go. And Einstein didn't like that. And so Tesla sort of left and promoted his own thing, pushed his own thing. And unfortunately the way it all shook out is Tesla was the better inventor, but Einstein was the better marketer. Okay. 
And there's a lot of lessons that can be learned in there, especially as a marketing guy. Um, one lesson, though, is just is the nice guy doesn't always win. The right guy doesn't always win. Um, I promise you, in your history books, you learn a, a billion times more about Albert Einstein than you did about Nikola Tesla. But Tesla is arguably more important um, in the development of electricity. I mean, the, even radio. Radio is something that I forget the guy's name. But some other dude got credit for the invention of radio, and it was really Tesla's invention. Uh, um, I can go back to the Einstein thing. I yeah. said Franklin, but wasn't it Thomas Edison? Yes, it was. <laughs> we were both wrong. Um, I was like, no, Benjamin Franklin was from like 100 years before, but I was like, Einstein doesn't make sense. Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison. I'm so sorry. Yes. So Thomas Edison. Both. Okay. We're on the same page now. <laughs> we were both wrong. At that least I said E. At least I had an E. You had an F. You're moving up yeah. the alphabet. Um, okay. Anyway. Yeah. That was terrible. Anyway. anyway. So. Thomas Edison. I should know this because New Jersey, Edison, New Jersey. I've been there. It's, anyway, so um, that's where I grew up. So um, anyway, Thomas Edison. And um, uh, Edison was a better marketer than Tesla. And Tesla deserved more credit but didn't get it uh, in a lot of things. And so, so Tesla, what's interesting is though, like me and uh, like you and like a lot of other people, like ever, like Tesla is not like an unknown name. I mean, yeah, even Elon like helped that along a little bit. But like, again, even before Elon, a lot of people at least know the name of Tesla. And it's kind of like this vague notion of like, wasn't that the guy that like shot electricity between towers or whatever? And what this, what this movie brilliantly does, and presumably the book as well, but what this movie brilliantly does is trades on that fact. It, it sort of uses the fact that you know a little bit about Tesla, but not a whole lot as currency, mm-hmm. um, as mental currency for you. And, yeah, uh, and to kind and, of fill in the blanks. You kind of go with it like, okay, what's the movie have to say about him? That's right. That's right. And it, it, it kind of presents an opportunity here for some historical fiction. Um, yes. and, and because, like, Again, one of the crazy things about this is, is like, yeah, this is like late 1800s or whatever when this movie is set. And we have a lot of, again, just bias because of when we live and where we live. Um, but a lot of the scientific inventions that are like coming to maturity today, like they many of them were 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 like in the beginning stages of like being possible even back then. And so it's not so far fetched the fact that you see Tesla being brought into this movie. And so I'm just kind of like, maybe I'll let you take it from here, but I just wanted to sort of set up the Tesla angle in, in this movie. Basically, he gets introduced as a, as a way to think of the uh, a, a possibility, how the, the movie puts it basically as something like what other people do is magic, like happening for real. Um, mm-hmm. they, and, and Tesla is supposed to be able to help accomplish this in the movie. Yeah, so um, I guess two things to talk on it because we talked about this quite a bit too right after the movie because it is a weird part of the movie. Um, um, just to kind of you know breathe, yeah. you know, he ends up getting a uh, Tesla provides Angier with a machine that clones himself. Um, so obviously that the movie so far has been I'd say a hundred percent like realistic. There's nothing that's you know yeah that's like fantastic or sci-fi about it. It's just it is what it is. Um. So up to that part, and so when you introduce Tesla, um, it, a question comes up is, is it too far-fetched to fit in this fairly normal movie? Um, and so that that is the one thing about the movie where I could see someone having a problem with it. I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, that seems like, what do you say, uh, is it called jumping the shark? 
Yeah, I was going to read a little bit yeah. about that, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, No, go for it. Go do that. Then I can get back to my other point. That's fine. Okay. Okay, yes. So I mentioned to Alex that, that we might call this jumping the shark. Uh, and this is something that uh, I'm just going to read what, what it means, and then I'll explain. Um, so this is, this is right from Wikipedia, the ultimate source of internet truth. The idiom jumping the shark was coined in 1985 by John Hine in response to a 1977 episode from the fifth season of the American sitcom Happy Days. In Oh, I, th I think I said 1979, 1977 episode from the fifth season of the American sitcom Happy Days, in which Fonzie, Hen Henry Winkler, jumps over a shark while on water skis. The phrase is pejorative, pejorative excuse me, and is used to argue that a creative outlet or work appears to be making a misguided attempt at generating new attention or publicity for something that is perceived once to have been widely popular, but is no longer. So, um, it's probably not a direct parallel, but, but the yeah. reason why I sort of use this analogy when I was talking to Alex is I thought that maybe because, again, everything, if you could see in the movie, like at, to this point, like they're obviously showing you, the the watcher, the viewer, um, a, the behind the scenes of many of these magic tricks. Right. And so they're, they're like at most of them. In fact, you're seeing like a lot of the like mechanical devices and you're even seeing. Um, there's this one scene with, with, with birds, right? The magic trick is with birds. And basically like the, um, the, like, this is how Borden and his wife meet because they're in, in this little shop and they're watching the magic trick or whatever. And the guy does this trick and, um, mm -hmm. it appears that the bird lives. And then, so Borden notices this kid who's really interested in the magic goes up to him and there he's like, I assure you, um, or he, he was had this horrified look on his face um, about the bird being killed or whatever. And he was like, I assure you, like the birds just fine or whatever. And, um, you, you know, showed him the new bird and, and, and he's like, well, what about his brother? Mm -hmm. um, and he's like, oh, you're a smart one, aren't you? Um, yeah. And it, it, it ends up that, that the kid, like his mom becomes uh, his Ford and future wife. So anyway, um, the the point there is that like you see a lot of this gruesome, very realistic stuff that goes into the magic. Well, then in comes Tesla, um, mm -hmm. and and uh, again, I, some of the Tesla stuff. Um, I think I think as the movie progressed was okay. I think where I really got the thought about jumping the shark, or in other words, in this context, introducing something that mm -hmm. seems wildly fantastic in comparison yeah. to the rest of the realisticness of the rest of the movie was at the very end. And so basically the last scene of the movie is you basically see just a room full of water tanks with, with clones. And we'll explain some of that, but, but basically you see a room full of dead clones as a result of of angier using this machine that tesla created and angier you and angier using it in his magic tricks and you see all these dead clones and at that point i had the 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 brief thought of oh well did the movie just kind of punt itself into absurdity there you know did it jump the shark um and and i actually don't think so um, after considering it, but that was my first thought. So anyway, there's that, and I'll let you take it from there. <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess one of the... So yeah, kind of go along with what you were saying is I think that it would seem like a, um, I guess, like a scapegoat or something. Like, hey, just let's just fit this in to make it tie together. I think the reason why it is not that 
is when you like what you said when you really think about it um how purposeful that setup was to tie in a lot of different um like for like for instance how Angier's uh wife died um by drowning and so that is the way he basically obviously he ends up living by his clone which is still himself um yeah ends up drowning just like his wife did and one thing that is um i don't know if it doesn't show directly this was if this was his way of coping with it but um at the beginning when at the um at his wife's funeral cutter says that he met a sailor once who had drowned and be, come back to life or something and said that um drowning felt like going home it was like a peaceful experience and then so i think that is one way where he kind of said like okay like you know i'm killing myself every night killing my clone but at least i'm not you know it's not as bad as what it could be oh um, yeah and so that really ties in a lot there and then also kind of like what you were saying how um, there's two different things here um science really helps a lot with magic in the beginning like where you were mentioning with um with the table opening and, and the bird dying in the cage with the um and i don't know if this is a real instrument but the the one that on his back where the bird could live um so uh, a lot of science up and lifts and pulleys and all sorts of stuff helped with that and so i think it was just a great and tesla said that one thing and again i don't know how this is true to his real life but he said when he his first invention or the first time he brought something to the market, people hailed him as like a hero or a visionary. And the second yeah. time he did, um, he was a cast out and no one wanted anything to do with them. And so just a lot of um, just kind of comparisons there in uh, relations on how um, things can cross the line and be too much. And so, so anyway, it just ties into a lot of different things where it makes sense to have it, even though it is out there, it's, it feels it feels natural like at the end it is kind of weird but yeah you still think it's cool and it feels natural to you like there are yeah. some movies that introduce stuff like that where it doesn't feel natural can't even the top of my head but you're like eh, that's just too weird and it kind of ruins the movie but this if anything makes it seem like wow like that's kind of creepy or that's odd you know uh well and i think what ultimately ends up making it in a sense allowable if i can use that term is is the vagueness um behind the character of tesla i mean the, mm. what most people know about tesla even if they don't know anything else is that he was he was ahead of his time i mean most people at least know that about tesla in that like i like i just mentioned yeah, i mean 100 100 years ago he was doing stuff that like is really just coming into a public acceptance etc um today i mean he, he he basically for in in a matter of speaking prophesied um in direct statements what we have today mm -hmm. in mobile phone technology. I mean, he basically prophesied that. And so it's, and, and by the way, today we can now, not to the degree, which, um, uh, uh, not to the, to the degree cognitively that the movie suggests in this, in this cloning, because it basically in, in the movie, what ends up happening is these clones that are, are made of Angier are direct like they have his it is him. and everything it is else. Him. It is yeah. him. It is him again. It is another him. Okay. Yeah. Um, while it's not, we don't have the ability to do that today, but we can clone things today. Mm -hmm. We can clone dadgum sheep and we can clone, I mean, probably to some degree, again, clone humans. I mean, again, I don't know. I, I, that, it's a lot scarier than I really feel like Googling, but um, <laughs> just to be frank, but like 
we can, we like it's as unbelievable as it seems, we can clone something today. And so the fact that it was happening back then, again, Tesla was a guy before his time. The electricity stuff, sending things from one place to another is like, you know, I mean, it's hard enough for, for me to believe that I can like be talking to you on a screen like that. I mean, it's still, I'm a tech guy. And to me, this is still like hard, difficult to believe that we can do. Um, yeah. So I, so I think it's allowable. I, I don't think it's jumping the shark. I, at first I thought I did, but then when I thought about it more and especially the, the weirdness behind Tesla, I think it's something that you could totally believe. You know? Maybe we're kind of being a dead horse here, but just something that popped in my mind is how, like he said that, you know, like, I think it was Tesla that was saying that man can only handle like one change, like at a time he can't jump. And so yeah. you're right. The fact that they use Tesla, who's this obscure guy who was ahead of his time, who was thinking, you know, really he was a one of a kind in that way, um, where like we used to, we can clone things today. So it, it's almost, it's believable because it's not like taking 10 steps that he's cloning himself for the oh, yeah. watcher. It's like taking two steps. It's like, that's kind of odd, but it was Tesla. It, you know, theoretically, it could be possible in this world. So it's yeah. believable enough where it's it's like that. Um, yeah, and for like, sure. It would be one thing if he went over there and Tesla had like, it went super nuts with like a lab underground and you had like almost like Attack of the Clones in Star Wars where you had like these clone people walking out and he has like this laboratory and everything, you know, that'd be Crazy. one thing. But yeah. the fact that it's like his experiment and he kept a secret, it's you're right. It takes that step. It pushes the boundaries, but still makes it in the belief. Well, and you see him, you see him, you see him fail too. Like in the exactly. movie, like you, yeah. in the movie, you yep. see him fail. I mean, they're, they're constantly, again, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's like, it's like the best misdirection because you see him constantly, it's constantly bringing you back to reality in what they're, what, in what he's trying to get him to do. It's bringing him back to reality because it's like, no, this isn't working. This isn't working. And then eventually, um, you see, what they were trying to do was transport something from one place to another. I mean, they were trying to go all Star Trek. And at no point did that end up happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so even that in itself is a is a failure. The fact is what the machine did do was subpar. Um, all yep. it did was make a copy of something else at, at, in the final analysis. That's all it would end up mm -hmm. doing. And so because of that, Angier had to improvise it wasn't ideal he didn't actually get to transport it still ended up being a clone even all the way through all that trouble um but anyway so that it sets it up too where in the end you see how much his passion for um just overcoming board and, and one ruining his life and two being the better magician consumed him where he was willing to just go through those motions of killing himself yeah. night after night and just it really made a pathway for that to come to fruition at the end. But anyway, let's, uh, so there's a lot of stuff we can't talk a little bit, but there's a lot of stuff that happens with the Tesla, I, I guess you can kind of say subplot, um, with Edison's men coming and, um, again, like we used to the failed attempts and the experiments. Um, but it, yeah. the reason of all is that is, um, Edison's men, or I think Tesla burns his old, his own place down. Angier thinks that he's not going to get his machine, but yeah. then lo and behold, behold the um he actually sent the machine to the hotel you're we staying and they kept it for him and so engineer has this machine now yeah. that he brings back to um to england and uh so anyway what the uh and watching it for the first time you don't know what clones anyone until the very end so you just think it's transporting him I, I think that they call it the transported man i forget what the name that he called the magic trick 
like the ultimate transported man or something like that. Yeah, something like that. But anyway, yeah. and so it was like, so he comes back and it's a hundred shows only. And um, anyway, at this point, um, Sarah Borden's wife um, killed herself. I feel like we kind of skipped over that, but um, throughout the whole movie, you see her not knowing that her husband's a twin, but she's constantly dealing with her actual husband and then her husband's brother, not knowing it. And with the secrets that both her husband and um, Fallon keep, and it just, it just, it gets to her and she ends up killing herself. Um, which, yeah. and I felt, I don't know, I, um, obviously like any part like that is supposed to feel sad, but I felt like it was a, again, just a natural progression up to that point. And I thought that part kind of really, really hit home. Now, all all of those things, again, these were sort of, I don't know if you could say subplots, I mean, maybe they were, but but these were all things that sort of reinforced um, how seriously they took the magic, right? Like how serious it, this persona was to them it, 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 in both cases. Um, the the magic, preserving the magic was obviously more importantly, more important than preserving the relationship for Borden mm -hmm. and then for Angier like you mentioned that scene earlier where he's getting frustrated and he's like it's not about her it's about it's about this trick mm -hmm. um and so for both of them all of these things as you go along again just I, I keep using the word misdirection uh, a, a point that I wanted to make anyway and I'm going to go ahead and check it off my list here is that the entire movie felt like a magic trick to me it, um, and it is it's and it's it set is. up that way so yeah it's so great it, it, <laughs> it's absolutely masterful but as you go along you're constantly and, you know, I don't even know, like, you find yourself rooting for different people all mm -hmm. throughout, even up to the very last minute. You really don't know, like, whose side, uh, whose side to be on, um, yeah. because everybody experiences yeah. loss and everybody experiences, you know, there's just all these emotions going on throughout the whole thing. Um, and so it's, it's you, just really you keep using the word misdirection, but I think that's the perfect way to describe it. And it, in Metatrig, especially yeah. with uh, um, you want to do misdirection, you show the audience your hand and something you're playing with over here while you're pocketing something, you're doing something, you know, to set up right. the next thing. In this movie, um, I forget, I was reading one review of it, and I forget the, the writer of it um, worded it very eloquently, but basically says that Christopher Nolan dangles the answer in front of you to the whole movie, but he just keeps you so far enough in looking at this direction, that direction yes. where you, you don't know it until the very end. But yeah, you have, like what you said, for lack of a better term, subplots with Tesla and then Sarah Borden's wife and then um, and then Olivia stepping into the picture and, all, and then reading the journal and getting kind of, you know, uh, a climax there and, you know, thinking, oh man, you know, that's his journal. He knew he was going to read it. You have all these little things going on that even though at some point it, you almost forget about the transported man at, at points. You forget that yeah. the thing is, oh, how does Borden do his trick? Because you're focusing on all this other stuff. It's so, it, and so anyway, he does that very well. So anyway, he, um, so now we're at the part where um, uh, Olivia is sitting down. I don't know if you remember the specific scene, but after Sarah died, Olivia was sitting down with um, Borden in the uh, restaurant. And at this time, um, it's the board, it's Borden's, I know they're both Borden, but it's Borden's brother, the one who actually does love Olivia and did not love Sarah because that wasn't his wife. And he says, still keeping the secret, you know, he says, um, you know, I, I love you. You know, I didn't love Sarah because that's true. He never did. But she thinks it's 
he's kind of crazy. She says, you could be sitting somewhere else with some other woman telling her the same exact thing. And then she basically gets up and leaves. Um, yeah. But before she goes, she says, um, he's back, you know. Um, he's They're saying it's the most like magnificent trick in the world or something to that effect. And so obviously Borden can't help himself. And he and I guess his brother too go and they watch the magic trick. And so Mangier steps into into the machine and it transports him up on the stage. Of course, at this point, if it's your first time watching, you think, okay, wow, it's transporting up there. But in reality, yeah. he's following through a... Um, I don't know what it's called. Uh, I'm blanking here, but a, um, a trap door, a tra trap door, a trap door on the stage into the tank where he drowns. And then the clone, which is still Angier, is, you know, and he finally gets his showman where he can actually be yes. the prestige and have people cheer for him. And that's what he's always wanted. Well, not everything is always wanted because ultimately he knows that boarding cannot keep away from knowing his trick. Because it's right. better than his. So even though Injir's the one that's obsessed with overcoming it, he still knows that Borden has that in him. And I remember a couple really good scenes in here. Do you remember um, throughout this where it shows Borden yelling at Fallon in their, you know, studio? Yes. Like, why like, can't you figure him out? Like, why can't you beat him? And it just shows how frustrated they are with yeah. not being able to figure it out. And, um, he says, like, we're done, like not go back there. Like he, you know, basically engineer one, but apparently one of the brothers still wanted to figure it out. And so this is kind of, am I, I'm kind of going faster to get to this part, but like, is there anything you want to add for during this area or are you good to kind of go to? No, I don't, I don't okay. think so. I think this is probably where some of the, some of the details get a little blurry for me having, okay, it gotcha. only, having been my first time through. So I'm going to let gotcha. you So I'll walk through it. Okay. So, um. Angier just knows that Borden is going to want to inspect that thing and come up on stage and see what's happening. And so he's looking for him dressed in disguise coming up on stage. And so um, the night happens where, you know, Angier, um, Angier sees Borden come up and he knows he's going to be going downstairs, downstage to um, see, see what's up with the trick. And so on this particular night, then he walks out into the machine, falls to the trap door. And of course, um, he reappears up on, up in uh, the grandstands or the balcony, but instead of reappearing to the audience, he just decides to stay back. And instead his, um, his original self falls through the trap door, gets into the water tank, it locks and it shuts. And Borden is down here, is down there and sees him drown. Now he tries to get him out. He hits the thing with an ax and everything, but essentially yeah. what it comes down to is they believe that, um, you know, he goes to court and they say, Hey, like he had plenty of reason to kill him, you know, for, you know, jealousy and this and that. And obviously he was there at the time of it. And so, um, he gets, um, sentenced to, um, death by hanging, uh, because of, um, yeah, of killing him. And so that's kind of where that part leads up to. Yeah, and for me, um, and and I'm I'm just assuming that what happened to me, I'm almost like unsure, um, in a sense. But I'm I'm kind of assuming that what happened to me is what was meant to happen to me, and what maybe happened to other people. At that point, I was thinking because again, the clone thing had not been introduced yet, and so at that point, my sort of thought was that the trapdoor thing uh, because again they did this with like literally they talked about it intentionally 
like he said, whatever this show does, whatever this new show does, it has to be, it has to be so interesting that Borden shows up. Like they absolutely him to show up. And so I personally thought that the trapdoor thing was not like happening every time. Like I thought that the trapdoor thing was a one-time thing for the night when they knew Borden was there. So at and, this point, you literally thought he was being transported. No yeah, I'm still, yep. yeah, yeah, I still, because yep. I didn't have any reason to suspect. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, yep. you've seen the movie a hundred times, but I haven't. Right. So yeah. For me at this point, I have no reason to suspect um, that cloning is what happened. The only reason that I would have to, to suspect it is that like the last time that you see the machine working mm -hmm. when it's at Tesla's shop, it's only it's only cloning. But like they the conversation that they have at mm -hmm. that point is, oh, obviously we still have. He's going to work out the out. kinks, yeah. And so we think, and so the 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 viewer thinks, oh, well, he's going to work out the kinks, and because we all know at this point what the goal is, the goal is to make this thing transport you. And so through all the testing that you see, um, uh, Angie or do. You're just thinking, oh yeah, uh, the machine is obviously working. This is this is a no-brainer. Um, and so I thought that sort of the ultimate at this point, Angier has very little left to lose. I mean, it, his his wife, uh, his first wife died, right? His his right, his love interest, like after she he kind of kicked her um <laughs> out to use he used her, right, to get to to get to Borden. I mean, even Cutter really didn't have that much to do with him. I mean, he was, he was sort of like, mm -hmm. there was nothing really left for him to live for. And so the, I was kind of thinking that the ultimate, um, that he would be willing to pay the ultimate price of, of death. If it basically meant execution, burning the world down for, for yeah. Borden as well. Right. Just basically yep. burning up the whole thing. And so I, at this point I thought the whole idea was, okay, Angier goes down the trap door, basically posthumously frames Borden for murder. And I, in my mind, what further cemented this was that when this happened, again, every other night, um, you know, just 10 seconds after the trick like really went off, you know, you would hear the crowd go off for the prestige and everything. But in this time, mm. there was no crowd reaction. Everybody was like waiting for the trick to happen. And so again, here I was thinking, well, yeah, there's obviously no clone. Like, like, I mean, yeah. I wasn't even thinking there was obviously no clone. It didn't even enter my mind at all because it was like, oh no, here's the guy. He's here He's drowning in this is, thing. Yeah. He is, he is drowning himself to frame Borden for murder. Cause again, the trial, like, you know, about the trial in the prison, because right. that, that's yep. going along with flashbacks all throughout the movie. And so at that point I'm thinking, oh man, this guy legit killed himself in order to get, because he knew that if this guy was successfully pinned for murder, that, um, that he would get, you know, he would have to hang, he would get, he would get, you know, executed as well. And so that's it. Everybody dies and, and, you know, um, and everybody loses everything scorched earth mm. kind of idea. That's kind of where my mind was at this point in the movie. And that's really interesting. It, it's been so long since I've watched it the first time. I forget what I was thinking at a certain point. So it's nice to hear kind of you walk through it. Um, he kind of talks about it at the end, Angier does, but um, just put your, so put yourself in Angier's mind where he turns around, not that specific night, but every night that it's gone well and he is the prestige. 
any steps on that thing. And he's so calm, but in that moment, he knows he's killing himself. He's going to, and not just killing himself, but like drowning, which I would assume is extremely painful. And so it, he knows he is going to die, but then he also knows he's going to live. But then here's the thing. So, so he dies and then literally himself is cloned and he comes out with his, and he's, he's the prestige, but then still though, that whole time he's like, I'm going to have to drown again. Like it's so it's a, right. it's just a weird cycle where every single yeah. time he knows he's dra- he's, he's going to drown. It's just, it's crazy. Yes. And it's important to remember again, because for the person who now knows that he was actually cloning himself instead, that yes. clone, when that clone steps out, has all the memories literally right up until the second. Yep. Uh, that the last that the, that that he was cloned through the thing and the guy went through the trap door. That's where the that's where kind of the the memory gets severed mm-hmm. because that's the last that's the moment of right. the clone happening. And so, um, so point being, it's consistent that there was no prestige that happened at the end of that trick because the cloned Angier mm-hmm. knew what the what the what the other Angier did that he killed himself. And so he all it was already part of the plan. Um, not to show up as the prestige because everybody had to think that he was dead. So everybody would think that Angier is the one who, uh, or that Borden rather drowned Angier and then, um, the story, you know, goes on. And so I don't know if now is when we should introduce the mysterious Lord Caldwell, Caldwell or whatever his name was, or if, if, if that's coming. Oh, uh, well, I was um, I was actually going to ask you about one thing first for you to tell something, because I think it was an interesting yeah. take on um, we both had two very different takes on it. And I think they're both good about when Angier cloned himself for the first time and saw his clone. Yeah. Why didn't he just keep the clone and just do have a legit double at literally as himself? And right. why didn't he just stick with that? And you had a really good thought about it. I thought that um, would just would be good to bring up. Yeah. Well, and, and, and now I feel pressure, right? I hope I say the same thing that I said. <laughs> no, you're then. good. You're good. Um, if not, maybe you can refresh my memory. But I, 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 my thought was, well, because then you still have two distinct, if he keeps that clone, you still have two distinct personalities existing at the same time and one of them would would always not actually be the prestige because at that moment you have a separate consciousness even though it's the same it's literally an exact clone with the same memories and everything right up to that moment it still could not it it, it still at the end of the day would not be him truly being the prestige because whichever one was below the stage right. or wherever to make the trick happen would still be would taking still be there. the bow below the stage. And so I think that in order for this to be consistent, it couldn't just be um, a clone. And the other thing that I thought, which I think these two go hand in hand, I don't think those are right or wrong. I think they're just compatible is that um, if he did it that way, he would still just be using a double. There would be nothing interesting there than what he done before so even though it is himself yeah trick essentially right. is a double um and then of course obviously the, in the main reason which is should just be mentioned is that it, in that scenario he just i guess he could ultimately frame borden but this is just a better setup for it um yeah but in any case um so moving on yes yeah, so um lord caldwell so why don't you um yeah why don't you take it on uh your view of lord caldwell because you kind of said you had a hunch I had to involve Angier. Yeah. So remember that 
the one of the things floating in the back of the mind of Angier, well, actually not in the back of the mind, it was really very much at the forefront right. of his mind, is he he wanted to know the secret to the trick. Because remember, he still doesn't he still doesn't know. Right. Okay. No. Um, Angier still does through all of this stuff. Angier still has no idea that it is actually a um, twin brother. Okay. There's no, literally you don't find this out until the very last scene of the entire movie. Okay. So of course now we who have seen the, the whole movie have the benefit of knowing that there's a clone out there who didn't show up for the prestige. And there were two characters that I was skeptical about throughout the whole movie. Fallon, mm-hmm. which is the engineer for, um, for Borden, who ends up being the twin brother. So I was right to be skeptical about him. He didn't speak. He was very, it was just weird, right? He had what seemed to be close relationships with people, and yet he never spoke a word. So it was just really strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was this was this Lord Caldwell figure. I think I'm saying his name right. Lord yeah, Caldwell. Caldwell. Yep. Um, and so who is Lord, Lord Caldwell? Well, basically what happens is um, Borden has a daughter. And and uh, you'll have to correct me if I get any of these details wrong, but I think I have them right. Basically, Borden has a a daughter, and the daughter, I mean, with Borden going to prison, the mama was dead. There was basically she was going to be put into whatever sort of, I guess, social welfare program, and and who knows, you know, God knows what would have actually happened to her mm-hmm. or whatever. So. A a mysterious figure named Lord Caldwell allegedly um, sends his, I guess, just his assistant or his messenger or or whoever to um, the to the jail where Borden is being held and says, basically, look, if you give me the secrets to all your magic tricks, specifically the secret to the transported man, Lord Caldwell will personally see to it that your daughter is cared for and raised you know, and doesn't have to go into the horrible, you know, welfare system or, or whatever. Now, immediately my suspicion was raised and I kind of, I didn't know how, but I have to admit, I did have an inkling that Lord Codwell was probably going to end up being Angier or something. Somehow. Like that. I, somehow. I did yeah. not know how, but, but some, but somehow I figured that Lord Codwell was going to end up being this guy. And, um, lo and behold, uh, it, it was now I'm a little fuzzy on the details. Want me to, um, want me to tell the reveal scene when Angier as Caldwell meets Borden? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it gets to the point where, um, Borden just says, okay, like, let me talk to Lord Caldwell, you know? And so, um, so he comes out of a sale, he, he's in chains, but he sees his little gramp and he comes up and then he looks up to talk to Lord Caldwell because he's going to be taking care of his girl. Then he sees it's Angier. And I would assume, yeah. especially from your point of view, even though you kind of knew it was Angier, if you still don't really know or seriously suspect the cloning, you're probably thinking how. Like I know that's that's, that's, that's you're thinking why does he I'm thinking <laughs> the guy in jail should be asking this dude for his secret like you know no seriously I, I really and didn't then, know. and then I remember um that's another great scene too where um Borden is like I 
he doesn't even care because it involves this girl. He says, I don't know what you've done or what's happening, but we're talking about like my little girl here or life or something like that. And, and, and then Injir's just, again, he's sunk into the lowest place. You basically can't, he doesn't give a rip. Um, yeah. you know, and so, um, so anyway, uh, so that was one part in the, uh, the next part, I don't know if you remember that scene, but Borden does give him the prestige yeah. to it. And then do you remember Angie rips it up and throws it? Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, I, I do remember that. Yeah. I wonder, um, I think this is just a matter of opinion. I don't think there's one way to know, but do you think he actually told the actual prestige in there when it evolved the life of his daughter? Do you think he actually put in there about his twin or do you not think he did? Even when it involves his daughter, he still kept that secret. I mean, we'll never know. I don't think there's a right or wrong, but it's an interesting I, I, thought. I want to think that he did. I, I want to think that he did, but I, I don't know. I, that, I, I think my opinion would be that he did, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I actually don't. I don't know if I have an opinion. It's a, it's a weird thing. But anyway, so yeah. So at that point. Um, you know, Borden tries to tell the guards, like, that's the guy that I'm in here for, but then it just, you know, they know he's, they know he's a criminal or whatever. So they take it away. And then really that comes to the end. Actually, I think in one of those scenes, Angier shows himself to, um, Cutter and, um, I forget specifically that exchange, but basically Cutter is just like, he just realized that Angier is crazy. Um, and just, it needs yeah, to stop. Right. And, and so, yeah. And so then this yeah. gets to the big finale um yeah so basically um uh it, it's kind of goes back and forth there's two scenes going on and it kind of goes back and forth rapidly but borden is it's his night to to be hung or hanged whatever it is and so he yeah. goes into the courthouse and uh well actually before this borden has a last conversation with fallon um who is his twin but you still don't know it at yeah. this point and um he throws the the ball to to fallon you know says like hey like take care of her for me and if you're watching it you're thinking that he's just giving instruction to his engineer fallon to take care of her exactly so anyway right. so then it gets to the point where it shows borden going to be um to hang and um and then Angier and cutter are at the warehouse where he has um the machine stored and as well as all of his clones and the tanks that are dead you don't see the clones at this point but that's where they are yeah. And um so two great parts here are when and the music builds up, but then um Cutter is just sick of Angier and of course and says, uh, do you remember the one time when I told you about that sailor that died? And Angier says, Yes, you said it was like going home. And he says, I lied. He said it was agony. Then he walks away. And then Angier's left to himself. And that part was just so good. You just and it tied in with right. the music too, and you just know something tense is going to happen. Yeah, we are about to find out that he experienced that same agony time after time, exactly. after time after time. Yeah, and so then at the same time, Borden's getting hanged. And do you remember what his last words were before he got? Hanged? Yes, yes, yeah. I was going to ask you. Yeah, so yeah, yeah so yeah. it says abracadabra, and then boom, and I think they make the sound of his neck snapping. If when I remember it, so Borden's dead. So you see, Borden yeah, well, died. well, even before that, something that I liked was that he was he. He, um, when he tells the guard, yeah, right? is it watch yes. closely or just, either are you, like, are you watching closely? Are you watching closely? And so yeah, that's a theme that repeats throughout the movie. And so I guess the yeah. kind of, um, to kind of, uh, really focus on that part, if it's your first time watching the movie, it, you know, that Borden is being hanged, 
but he tells the guard, are you watching closely? Yeah. As the person watching it first, at least I would think, and I do remember feeling this part, I'm just like, I'm thinking, I know something's coming up that's going to blow me away, but I just don't know what it is. That was my thought exactly. (laughs) I thought, I have no idea. I mean, like, it seems like an impossible situation to escape. Uh, and he's like, and but he just he just gives off this idea that no, it's getting ready to go down. And I just want to give a shout out to the writing and the filming and the directing, where they're like off the top of my head. I know if I probably think about it, I could think of it, but off the top of my head, there's no other movie that brings me that intensity at the end of a movie like The Prestige did. There's just no other like it. Um, yeah, in those final moments. Yep. So anyway, you see Borden hang, then it goes to Angier. Um, in the warehouse and he hears a noise and he holds it up and he says like cutter he thinks it's cutter and then and then the ball gets thrown at him from the shadows um borden's ball that he used in his trick and then a gunshot comes out of the darkness and shoots angier and he falls to the ground and then that's when um that's when the ball drops and rolls away and then yeah. you see a, a guy stop it with his foot and then bend down and you see the missing fingers and lo and behold it's borden standing there borden. Yeah. And yeah, not Fallon in his makeup, but Borden. And um, oh, what a great moment that is when you actually, you just saw him die in the last scene. And there he is. So yeah, what, um, and it happens pretty quickly. So maybe you didn't have enough time to think about it. But um, like right after that, Injir says like a twin, like he realizes it immediately. But when, so when you saw Borden though, reach down and you saw him alive, did you think like twin or were you like, how is this possible? Like, just kind of, do you remember what your thoughts were there? Again, it happened so quickly. Maybe you weren't really quite thinking about it. Yeah, I do remember the exact moment um, watching it. And I, 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 like, they said, they, you know, it did happen so fast that they actually narrated what was happening before I could even think about what, what, what was happening. And so I just, my only thought was, like, I knew something was jacked up about Fallon the entire time. I also knew that legitimately the Borden dude, I mean, his neck just legit snapped across town. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of just had those two facts in tension the entire time. And when he said a twin, immediately it was like, duh. Like, that, it right. made immediate sense to me. And then all these thoughts came rushing in of what I, of different scenes throughout the movie. And then basically, from yep. then until the end of the rest of the night, you and me talking about it. Oh, my um, gosh, yeah. More and more things became clear about the misdirection and everything. That moment was like the catalyst. of everything. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff, too, that obviously we didn't cover. But, like, Steve and I talked after the movie how there's not one um, filler scene in that movie. Every scene. Yeah is important and yep again dangles in front of you hey here's what's happening like it's right here but you you just overlook it time and time again and so yeah in the end and borden and gear have that exchange where um even at the end they're both kind of saying how much each had to sacrifice more than the other so you know borden's you know and then that's when you see um borden's twin um cutting off his two fingers um and then that's where you see um one of them loving sarah and the other loving olivia and then in the end you know sarah kills herself and then the other one loses um olivia um and then of course like one of them dies in the end one of them does get hanged and and dies and then at this point borden doesn't know that angier has cloned himself still 
he he doesn't. Right. And this comes to um, one of my, again, another one of my favorite parts of the movie where at the very end, um, uh, the light, the warehouse starts being burnt down because of the lantern that fell and Borden walks away. You know, uh, um, Angier's talking about how much he sacrificed and he says um, like something like, do you know where you are? Like, look around you, like look at the tanks. Like basically he wants to see how, like him, that he's killed himself multiple times and Borden doesn't look. But then at the end, and it's such a great scene, uh, Michael Caine is narrating, you know, as, um, as Cutter. And I have the quote here. He says, now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it. Cause of course you're not really looking. You don't really want to work it out. You want to be fooled. And at, at that moment, um, Borden is walking out and he hasn't looked at the clones. He still doesn't know, but then, before he leaves the warehouse, he finally does turn around because he's still curious on what Angier was talking about. And that's when you see um, all the dead clones that of Angier killing himself. Uh, yeah. And the, just up until the very end, even the movie just just nails it every single step of the way. Yeah. 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 That's that's it. And I, I just said, you know, thinking about it. If I were to go back and watch it again now, like mm -hmm. I would be looking for so many different connections. Mm -hmm. that I promise you, I would see tons of new things, even more than I had already thought of. And um, it really, I, I have to say, I mean, again, I, I'm not, I'm not usually one to just so quickly put a movie in my top three to five. Um, I honestly, like I'm having a hard time. I, mean, <laughs> I, lo I love movies. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. like, other than Apollo 13, I'm having a really hard time thinking of what would be my, um, what would be my next one. And honestly, like it, like it may be Armageddon for me, Yeah, uh, but just because I love that so much, yeah. but like the writing, oh, the writing was way better in the prestige. That's than, something than, that than Armageddon. And uh, like, yeah, know. we wrote, we wrote off a couple quotes and, you know, talked a little bit about specific scenes, but, um. Yeah, I mean, once and especially once you know you've watched it even a few times, and you go back, and you don't have to focus on what's happened. You can really focus on the dialogue and the the scene for scene, the word for word, and oh, like yeah. was like what Steve and I were saying. There's nothing in there that's filler. Every single thing in there is purposeful. And we were kind of talking afterwards. Obviously, even with this, it's still subjective whether you like it a lot. But it it almost comes down to it being a near objectively amazing movie. Just right. from just from the yeah. facts of looking of how it was made, you know, you could almost make a case for it. Yeah, it's almost like regardless of taste in movie, like the subjective thing, like that almost doesn't even matter in this case. The writing is just so objectively good that as 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 writing and as movies go, um, as and, stories go, really, yeah. and the hard structure of it all better, and the structure of it all, and and the the mix that that fine line between fantasy and reality. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know. Something that I thought was cool, and this is kind of like my last uh, yeah. my last point. We've covered all my little points uh, that I wanted to kind of talk through. Um, I just thought this was really uh, interesting. So if you look at the IMDb entry for this movie, every, like, main, you know, character has an entry except for Fallon, right, who was the, who was the twin who plays the um, engineer. That's cool um for Borden but um now again um Angier's engineer was played by Michael Caine a very famous actor so I mean they're definitely going to have him in the credits but it's really strange that 
Fallon, who was just as visible, even though he didn't say a word, he was he was an important part of the movie, and he has no credit. Mm-hmm. And so I just again I have right. I mean I'm looking in hindsight. I get high. I get hindsight right. privileges of looking at the movie now. But I wonder if anyone ever made that connection. If if a really smart, mm. you know, person would have somehow been able to make that connection pretty much immediately. Like, oh, how strange that this guy doesn't get uh, an entry, you know, in the casting mm-hmm. for the for the movie. Like, who plays Fallon? Because if you saw that, that that would give it it kind away. Of, yeah, exactly. Of course, right? That's so they lived it out. I think it's just. I think it's just a really fascinating thing again i I don't want to get like too crazy here okay i don't want to go i don't want to go too meta but this is another like really weird way that the movie actually like toes the line between fantasy and reality Mm -hmm. like like i don't know i can't think of another example of this maybe you can i don't know i can't think of another example where the plot of the movie like part of protecting the plot of the movie is leaving a main character out of the casting. Um, yeah, I've never. I don't know that I've ever. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm making too. No, I don't think so. I've never known. I don't either. know that I have ever seen this. I mean, it would spoil the plot of the movie if a main character in this case had been given mm-hmm. a casting credit. Um, so, and that's just cool. That I remember so cool. So uh, leading into this, I had told you several times, man, I hope you like it as much as I do. Because admit, it would have been a death if afterwards you were like, eh, that was okay. But I remember something you said to me at the end, uh, after a couple different things, you you said something along the lines of, man, it was kind of a bad movie to start out with watching some of your favorites because I just think everything's going to pale in comparison to this one. You said something along those lines. And it, yeah. it's kind of true. Like, there'll be some other great movies we watch, but it's... um. It, in this movie too, it it, uh, it obviously this is like very overstand being a little dramatic, but it, it kind of makes me sad almost because like this movie came out in 06 and every even great movies that I've watched since then just has never been able to give me that amazing feel that this one did at the end of it. Yeah. Like I keep saying, man, in Christopher Nolan movies since then have been amazing. You got Inception, you have Interstellar, which is another fantastic one, but interstellar comes uh, in my opinion pretty close uh, anyway but um but even all those that one. oh it's so good but even with all that just the prestige i i wish that there was a movie out there that could give me that same exact feeling but what's funny is no matter how many times i watched the prestige i guarantee you i was about probably 90 percent as nervous and anxious as you were at the end of that it gets me every single time i watch it because it's just really good um i yeah. want to kind of end my thing on uh, so i did Maybe not enough research because I'm sure there probably is a legit plot hole, but I, I just Googled like the prestige plot holes and Steve, I think kind of did the same thing and pretty much every avenue was, um, okay. Like, yeah, that that's possible, but, um, really it, it, it's, it's not, it, it, this movie is pretty fairly airtight, um, airtight on, um, on plot holes. The only one I found that was somewhat legitimate and odd was, um, when uh angier's uh wife uh died and she comes out of the tank and you know later on he says which knot did you tie well her hands were still bound in that scene and um so on inspection whether it was you know someone inspecting her or even angier there could just easily 
easily see why Nara Hurrians was. Now, I wouldn't even necessarily call that a plot hole for one. I guess one reason is it it doesn't matter. Like if it was the bad knot that he tied or the wrong knot or the knot that eventually kind of led to her death, Injir would still be out to get him. Now, maybe what could change is maybe he could like try to make a court case against him, but or and, and then again, another thing is someone in a rush could have untied that knot right then and there in the midst of all the confusion or something. So it's not I wouldn't necessarily call that a plot hole like, oh, well, that kind of destroys the whole movie because it doesn't. But that's the one yeah. thing I found that was actually a legitimate kind of, oh, that's a little odd. Uh, but that's the only yeah. thing I found. The only mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be. I think that could be reasonably explained i mean yeah. you know at that, exactly. at that, even with that you know i mean even even angier i mean at that point i mean she's coming out of the tank like this he was not shock. anywhere yeah, gonna absolutely. be on what not it was it was like no like why like get her breathing you know exactly um, even with that there's so many legitimate reasons why they wouldn't notice yeah um, and so one thing i want to add that i didn't tell you before i don't think i told you before maybe i did is that in the book version i think the movie made this change i think the change that the movie made was excellent um I guess in the book, instead of them reading each other's journals, I haven't read the book. I just read about it that instead it was like one of their or both of their like grandkids reading it. And so like kind of the telling the story through that way. So I think there were probably still some really cool reveals through there, but I think the movie is just delivers it much better with how bored oh, is in prison. And so I yeah. think that was sometimes, you know, movies make the change for the better. I think that was one. Yeah. Steve. That's beautiful. We thought this cool. was going to be a quick episode. <laughs> it was not. No, it was not. Of course not. Um, it never, yeah, that's good. Um, I, I there was so much to say about this. Again, I I, I loved it. I'm definitely going to watch it. And Again, now I feel like... want to watch it. So I think we're going to have a movie night, we said at some point. I know. And I just so can't wait I... for that again to watch it. <laughs> I know. It's going to be so It's going to be so good. I'm going to be on the edge of my seat again the entire time, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Probably just because I just want to be like, ah. You know, I know. Like, yeah. yeah. How do I keep it to myself? So it's good. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll, we'll get to our stories of the week here real quick. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this has been a cool discussion. So hope you uh, hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'd- if you if you listen to this whole thing and have not watched the movie, even with knowing the spoilers, watch it because it's that good, and you'll sure. still get the intensity it. of it. If you're a story nerd, you have to see this movie. You could, you could learn from it. I mean, you could absolutely learn from it. Um. So yeah. Anyway, I guess story of the week. Um. What's funny is I don't know if you're serious about it, but um, I'm okay with a shared story of the week, or I'm just gonna go with Elon again. <laughs> <laughs> go for it. Go for it. So. And again, I won't touch on it uh, too much, but I just, um, I, you know what? Sometimes the timelines mess up. Maybe we've already talked about this. I forget when it happened. But yeah, basically just Elon uh, buying Twitter and them accepting the deal. Um, I guess the only thing that I just kind of want to touch on, that's in, in, it's interesting just because of people's different reactions where, um, so on the one side, I definitely understand where I think Elon's getting into something more that he does he doesn't quite understand. There are a lot of things, and it goes beyond my knowledge, but the technicalities of the algorithms that they use and different security stuff. So it's definitely not just an easy peasy thing. Um, I, and maybe he does know that and he's just not letting on, but obviously it has a challenge with how big a platform it is. But then, man, on the other side, people just going nuts that he bought it. And I saw one thing, and it's so true that people are more concerned what Elon is buying with his billions and what the government is spending your money and trillions and it's like exactly dude like who cares if elon bought it like he bought it uh, yeah then 
I, I don't know. So um, anyway, it just kind of interesting following that, following along that. And like I said, Elon's really just kind of, he's a very big opponent on free speech. And so anything like that is good. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. So I will, uh, I have a couple different ones we could go with here. I, I, I will choose an Elon one uh, to, to, <laughs> to kind of keep this as a, as a shared story of the week. Um, I was actually doing some reading about, I've never really read that much about him. Um, to be honest, before all of this, and uh, but I am fascinated in him as a character. Um, you know, given his just business acumen, and I really like, uh, I really like this idea of kind of being the like at at SpaceX. Um, his job title is CEO and Chief Engineer, and you just don't see that very often. Usually, a CEO is some suit. You know, yep. running the money and making sure all the little peons are doing their thing. Not shooting flamethrowers. <laughs> right. Not Elon, though, right? Elon is Elon. literally the chief engineer. Like, he, the rockets that go, like, I didn't, I honestly didn't know this. Tremendous respect for the guy. The rockets that freaking go to space today for SpaceX that are under billion-dollar NASA contracts to move things to the space station and back and to move people, uh, et cetera, um, are based on the, uh, you know, I mean, obviously with modifications, but the same original specs and designs that Elon himself designed and came up with. Elon didn't just hire a bunch of rocket scientists and say, hey, put this together. He did the work. He read. He designed the thing. He did the blood, sweat, and tears during the testing and all the failed launches that didn't actually even make it to orbit the first time. Like, it's his design. Um, and obviously, uh, he works with a lot of other smart people now, like, uh, uh, tens of thousands, Clint. Yeah. Um, um, but, like, though he is legitimately, as think about this for a minute, he's legitimately a self-trained rocket scientist. Mm -hmm. Think about that for Same. two seconds. Yeah. A self-trained rocket scientist, okay? Um, and you mentioned about the algorithms and stuff. I mean, most people don't know, but, like, that was his background coding he was a co like so he 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 founded what's called x.com which later got bought by paypal and for a short time he was the ceo of paypal yep um so it's just legitimately, everyone forgets that little tidbit <laughs> right yeah no totally knows knows his stuff in that regard but but what i wanted to say one of the interesting pieces of history that i found is that twice in his history of since the late 90s um of of owning uh companies being at the helm of these companies Twice has the board of directors not fired him totally, but ousted him from the CEO position as mm -hmm. being incompetent or inexperienced as a CEO. And when you think about the fact that today he is the CEO of like five companies, literally the richest man on the planet, um, it's really hard to imagine Elon Musk being ousted as the CEO because he didn't know what he was doing. Um, it's funny. And it also reminds me of when Disney um, was famously, mm, while Disney right. was fired from a job back, you know, in, in his early career for a lack of imagination. Um, and so crazy. It, it just all goes to say, like, kind of the, the lesson to, to learn is that um, uh, perception is not always reality, right? Um, there are, you know, how people see things is... is you know, it's just not always the way things really are. And so sometimes you got to look a little deeper and see like, yeah, I mean, of course, Walt Disney had tons of imagination. Like whoever fired him was a snot, you know, um, and, 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 you know, and it's like, yeah, with Musk, I mean, 
it's like, how do you like me now? You know, I think of that country song, right? How do you like me now? Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you ousted me as the freaking CEO. And like, you know, today I'm the CEO of the, of the, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, so it's just uh, it's some fascinating stuff. Again, Elon Musk is not some God figure. You know, he doesn't need to become the next right, you know, Donald Trump right. or whatever. Like, like, you know, he doesn't need to be put on that kind of pedestal. Um, absolutely not. And he shouldn't be. Um, but he is an interesting character, interesting figure. And um, I, I think he's worth uh, worth watching. So Was it you that I told about him saying how he got into programming? I don't think so. He was uh, playing video games. And he said, Oh, really? He said many of his, I forget, he said engineers or programmers, probably programmers. He said many of them, um, he kind of, he kind of likes it when they play video games and love video games because they naturally Uh, had gotten to coding because they wanted to learn. They didn't go to school for it, but they love video games. They wanted to learn how to do it. And that's how they got to where they are. So that's fascinating. Curiosity. So that's just something pretty neat. Cool. Um, Cool deal. I think that wraps up this episode, Steve. It does, man. It does. This was a great one. I'm really excited. Guys, you know, if you really are enjoying this, we're excited about the number of downloads we're getting. I think it's really Absolutely. it's really getting awesome to to kind of see like, yeah, we're doing this and people are actually like liking it and watching it and listening to it. And so that's that's really exciting. So uh take a screenshot on your pod or uh, of your podcast app and share it on the social media. Tag me and Alex. Let us know that you like it or whatever and share it with others. That's the best thing you can do to help it grow. Absolutely. Thank you, Steve. Until next time. Until next time. (laughs) Bye-bye.